We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we're for the people of Missouri. We're for brewmasters, stockbrokers, beauty queens, and truck drivers. Whatever you do, if you're a Missourian, we're for you. We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we've got Missouri covered. The Zone with Jason Anderson is presented by Guaranteed Foods. Hey, indeed, it is The Zone here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm Joshua Briscoe, the Drake on the other side of the glass. No Jason Anderson today. He'll be back tomorrow. If you need a four-hour vacation from the zone, I guess I understand, but I'd much rather you stick around with us because we've got a lot of fun stuff to cover here today. We're going to go mostly football in part because I don't have any analysis for, well, I guess just don't hit a baseball into the outlight. That's never analysis I've had to give before. It's all I have for the Royals today is, uh, yeah, I guess don't lose balls in the light above you or in the light in the green monster. It's sort of the beginning and end of my baseball analysis for you today. Uh, pending anything else wild happening, I suppose. But there's a lot going on around the Chiefs right now. And I say that nearly tongue-in-cheek because the most newsworthy things happening for the Chiefs right now, aren't happening. There's a day off today in St. Joe, so no practice, no pressers today. We'll talk to Kent Swanson of KC Sports Network at 11. We're going deep as we... We're here. It's game week. I mean, it's preseason game, but there is a game coming on Sunday, which is really exciting. And then Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated, he'll join us at noon. Todd Lebo will come hang out with us at 1. No sports or leisure today, um, just uh, on account of, you know, the moving parts and all. We didn't get to talk to Lebo on Tuesday because of practice times and all that, so we'll get our time with Lebo this week and uh, do a whole bunch of Chiefs talk throughout the the four hours here today. But I, at one point, thought, you know what would be a really nice time to get a contract extension done? Nice little off day. Hey, Chris Jones, no reason to pay a $50,000 fine when you're not even missing practice. You're just missing the dorm. Could this have been a, a, a time and could this have been a day where eventually I have the pleasure of looking at Twitter and saying, breaking news from somebody, Chris Jones and the Chiefs agree to a long-term blah, 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 blah. I didn't even finish that sentence yet because I don't want to have anyone turning on the radio and hearing me announce a fake contract extension that gives you hope that I then have to take away from you. There is no real news We have gotten a little more as this week has gone on, and and Brett Veach has talked a little bit to to some of Kansas City's most intrepid reporters. We talked to Adam Teicher about that, what his view of it was uh, back on Tuesday. We'll talk to Matt Derrick on Friday, and again, kind of working through the list. You've heard Jesse Newell here on A10, and the the range of, of comments that have come out of training camp via Brett Veach, have filled out this conversation a little bit more. But then uh, early this morning, late last night, I saw it this morning, uh, Nate Taylor of The Athletic puts out his story about Chris Jones with a couple of blurbs that, that did move the needle for me here. And I think there's some recalibrating to do and then I, I kind of, I, and I know, I understand if a lot of people are more or less sick and tired of hypothetical contract extension talk. But this is really important, and it has layers. And frankly, this this might be the most important contract negotiation, and certainly the most contentious one, 
of the Patrick Mahomes era, ultimately, and we'll see how far that goes. But Travis Kelsey's not going to have a knockdown drag-out contract extension to finish his career in Kansas City. They'll figure it out. Patrick Mahomes, I don't think, is going to throw his weight around in some contentious contract discussion that, that ends up making his future ever really uncertain. And maybe Tyreek Hill would be the other answer, you know, where you say, hey, they, they had a guy on a Hall of Fame track who they traded away and then won the Super Bowl the next year. But Chris Jones is by and large in a, in a class by himself, which makes this both easier and more complicated. Here's how the, the lead opens in the in Nate Taylor's story in The Athletic. At this point, no one in the Kansas City Chiefs organization expects him to arrive here at Missouri Western State before the end of training camp. Good lead. Strong lead. However, the next question is becoming more interesting. When will Chris Jones, the Chiefs superstar defensive tackle, rejoin his teammates? When the Chiefs have their final camp practice set for August 17th, Jones, who's holding out for the first time in his eight-year career, will have accrued a fine of $1.4 million for the days he's been away from the team. If Jones's absence continues after camp, he will continue to face a mandatory $50,000 fine each day based on the new collective bargaining agreement. That's most of the, the heavy lifting here. Later, same story. Jones and the team are at a stalemate as Jones seeks an extension that would pay him an average annual salary of $30 million. Now, even with that being said, I don't know for a fact that that's the sticking point, but it's certainly a sticking point. And I feel like we've got to recalibrate some expectations now. Not because it's shocking that he wants $30 million. That, that's where they should be aiming. But it doesn't take three months to say, I want 30. You want to give us 26. 28's in the middle. Kumbaya. And I, if you would have asked me right around the draft or early before it, after the, anytime after the Super Bowl, frankly, Anytime after the Super Bowl and, and up through some of the, the off-season activities where we realized Chris Jones wasn't showing up, I would have said that that's how it was going to go. I want 30. We want to give you 24. 26. We'll settle it 27, 28. I, I don't know if it was you know ever going to be that simple to meet in the middle. And we're still talking about average annual value, not the other category of this that I still think is very important in terms of the guaranteed money. But I cannot help but to ask now, who who feels like the other side is being unreasonable? And if that is both sides, is it time to start getting to the bargaining stage of grief? Well, you know, at least we'll get probably one more year of Chris Jones here, and then I guess they could tag him and trade him next year, and, and that would at least play out this season. I I have found myself talking to myself that way. Over these last couple of days, I don't necessarily think that's still the, the landing spot. But I've caught myself preparing for that potential future. When Aaron Donald signed this massive deal with the Rams, which as we've talked about, also in part 
was so he just wouldn't retire and walk away from football altogether. And Aaron Donald, who has as strong of an argument as the greatest football player ever to live, as just about anybody. Pretty strong argument for the best defensive player and certainly the best defensive player of the modern era. You can kind of draw your little distinctions where you want, but Aaron Donald was a world wrecker for many, many, many years. And so at age 31, he signs a three-year, $95 million deal that's all practically guaranteed. 46 and a half of it's guaranteed at signing. Quinn and Williams, at age 25, signs the four-year deal, $96 million, so 24 average annual value. 66 of it is practically guaranteed. Almost 48 of it is guaranteed at signing, but $66 million practically guaranteed for Quentin Williams. Chris Jones's last deal with the Chiefs practically guaranteed him 60. This will be the deal that takes him into his 30s. This is the type of deal that the Chiefs do not hand out anymore. Capitulating to the down-to-the-wire, and perhaps at this point, kind of unpleasant negotiations is not something the Chiefs have done under Brett Veach. But I don't think that's... I don't think that's a conversation ender here. Because for all of the tension and for all of the feelings of, like we talked about yesterday, you know, when when you have to say, as, as Veach did, that you get to a point where everyone wants to take a step back and then conversations heat back up again. And so that's why they're still optimistic, despite the fact that we're more than halfway through training camp. And that Nate's story here says no one with the Chiefs expects to see Chris Jones in St. Joe this year. The vibes are bad. The tension is bad. They must still be far apart enough on August 10th. Happy 810, everybody. How are you going to celebrate your 810 today? Hopefully with us. But if everything is tense and ugly and the the conversations are cold and they're not inching closer to some agreements and some places where they can give a little, take a little, give a little, take a little. The interesting thing about Chris Jones is that all of those frustrations, concerns, bad vibes, none of them decide the future of this negotiation. Like, nothing has been decided by default, which is often not the case when you draw that line in the sand. I think about the way things ended in Kansas City for Tyron Matthew. And not that these are terribly comparable situations for a lot of reasons, but seeing how it played out, I still think it would be informative. We we heard Tyron Matthew talk about this in his offseason after his last season with the Chiefs. It was before he actually signed with the Saints, if memory serves. And he talked about the realization that when he did not get a contract extension before his lame duck year, for lack of a better term, he knew, oh, I'm gonna I'm not only am I not gonna be with the Chiefs again, 
that only is this my last year to go with them, and that got in his head, affected his play, made you know was, was a negative force for him. But not only was it the realization that this is is all coming to an end and, and negatively impacting his season. For him, it was also I'm going to have to move again. I'm going to have to. I I am a great player who is you know all decade team sort of material. And I am going to ultimately be a journeyman who never spends more than one contract in one place. Arizona to Houston to Kansas City to New Orleans. I mean, Tyron Matthews is going to have like a legit Hall of Fame debate to make. And while never spending more time on one team than he did in his rookie contract in Arizona, right? But anyway, where, where this differs from Chris Jones is a couple of important places. One is that Tyron Matthew was an important player and and an excellent player earlier on with the Chiefs. But that last year, it was evident, completely evident, that not extending him before that last season in Kansas City was a good thing. You let Tyron Matthew walk, you replace him with Justin Reed, you draft Brian Cook, who ultimately steps in when you let Juan Thornhill walk. Keeping that churn going as especially a defensive roster when you have Patrick Mahomes on the offensive side. But but keeping keeping your defense young and talented, but responsible in terms of the contracts you give out, I think is a great strategy that the Chiefs have been very good at implementing. And then, you know, it's a way different conversation on the offensive side, but they drew a line on Orlando Brown, and, and they eventually said, all right, we're going to take the tag from you, and you just you just walk. We'll, we'll figure something else out. But Chris Jones isn't copy-and-paste Tyron Matthew, copy-and-paste Orlando Brown, copy-and-paste these other players that have gone through a similar process with the Chiefs. Tyreek Hill, even. This part might be redundant. Maybe we've said this a hundred times, and so you already know what I'm about to say. But Tyreek Hill for the Chiefs was expendable because of who the quarterback is and what that means for the offense, even when it doesn't have Tyreek Hill. There is no equivalent for the defense, and the closest thing to an equivalent is Chris Jones. If Chris Jones isn't out there against the Lions, and this starting defensive line is Mike Dana, Tershawn Wharton, still fresh off an ACL rehab, Derek Nottie and George Karloftis, with Felix and Yudike Uzama and Malik Herring rotating in an edge, and Keandre Coburn and Daniel Wise rotating in on the interior with a minute he was suspended and with Chris Jones, in this case, just holding out still, maybe missing game checks. I think that's unlikely, but if follow me into that world where the Chiefs do not have Chris Jones for any stretch of time, and it falls apart. It just crumples. I think the secondary is really good. I think it's amazing that they have a, an entire cornerback group fully filled out by guys on their rookie contracts. That's incredible. What a value. What a way to cheat the league. It's incredible. Justin Reed and Brian Cook, love them. Think uh, the the depth they've built out behind them by having some veterans who have been there for a little bit also kind of helps set your floor. I think they might have the best linebacker group in football. It's not the, it's not the most valuable position group, but they might have the best one. And with all due respect to the players who I mentioned, on a defensive line without Chris Jones. That is 
an apocalyptic problem for the Chiefs defense. There was the um, there was a great chart that I think Seth Walder tweeted out um, a while back, and I, I retweeted it again uh, over the weekend, or maybe earlier this week, because it was during the um, the NFL Top 100 where uh, Chris Jones ends up at number ten, Mahomes is number one, Kelsey's number five. These aren't important. I don't, you know, Creed Humphrey wasn't in the top 100, so take all of it with a grain of salt as you wish. But that's what had me looking for it again. And in this Seth Walder graphic, you know the Patrick Mahomes advanced analytic sort of graphics that always have him in the top right corner, usually by himself, because the X and Y axis is usually good farther to the right, good further up. So the top right corner is where the elite players are. Seth Walder had this one from last season. For defensive tackles who qualify, which is a lot of them. It gives you the double team rate for defensive tackles. And it gives you the pass rush win rate at defensive tackle for the 2022 NFL season. And Chris Jones is alone in the top right corner. He is double teamed more than any other qualifying defensive tackle on this list. He is winning at a higher rate than any defensive tackle on this list. He is demanding the focus of the offense and winning anyway. Just as a, a, a an alternative example here, Vita Vea, the monstrous defensive tackle for the Buccaneers, he, he got double teamed maybe fifth most or so last year. I don't have like the chart. I just have the, the graph here. But Vita Vea was getting double teamed amongst the most in football. But he was below the average here in pass rush win rate by a, by a nice little margin. I mean, he, he was a below average winner, but a way above average double team recipient. You have guys in that top corner. Tell me if these names sound familiar. The next most impressive data point, significantly less impressive than Chris Jones's, is Dexter Lawrence. Another one removed, Quinnen Williams. One a little less, but double teamed a little more, Jonathan Allen. Right there with him, Grady Jarrett. These are guys who either just got paid or who have gotten paid. This is this is the metric of the best of the best. Aaron Donald didn't have enough snaps last year to qualify for this one, so I don't know where he would have plotted in there. But Chris Jones last year blew away the best of the rest of the defensive tackles in the sport. So here's another big question that we've we've asked on this show that I'm asking again today. What happens if the Chiefs do break their their rules and at some point they decide okay all right you have completely planted your flag right here it is going to hurt we don't like what this looks like in your age 33 season but here's here's our best offer you are winning from us here we are we are overpaying because we need you so what if the Chiefs say that? 
Well, on one hand, you could say that that sets a bad precedent because now you have lined up a future in which, hey, uh, not getting paid what you want from the Chiefs, a holdout, be a problem, don't show up for training camp, and before week one, they'll say, hope you enjoyed your vacation. It was expensive, you know, cost you $1.4 million or so, but hope you enjoyed your little vacay, staying out of St. Joe, but here's an enormous Brinks truck full of money. You could say, all right, well, then that's setting a bad example because now that's the playbook for how to how to get one over on Brett Veach. I think that's oversimplifying things because step one isn't hold out for training camp. Step one is be Chris Jones. Which Chris Jones has successfully done. Tyron Matthew was not going to be that. He, he, he was not going to be able to pull off that negotiation because they were ready to they they were, were happy to play out the year say thanks for your service with us here Tyron but we're going to we're going to let you play this one out Orlando Brown Jr was almost even more blatant than that and with Tyreek Hill I do think with some similarities to Chris Jones it started with a real desire to get a deal done then the market changed and they decided, okay, well, this isn't, this is not worth this entire investment. But the market shouldn't have surprised the Chiefs at defensive tackle. And if, if Chris Jones's camp, if the Katz brothers raised the price when, when training camp started for no particular reason and the Chiefs feel like they've been deceived on the negotiations since earlier in the offseason, then, then, Shame on them in that relationship. But they've done this once before. That seems unlikely to me. The, the Chiefs should not have been surprised by any element of what Chris Jones would want here. And Chris Jones's camp shouldn't be surprised that the Chiefs are trying to figure out how they can responsibly pay a guy who's, who's going to have a mega deal going into his 30s. While he and Travis Kelsey are on my TV right now in a direct TV commercial. Chris Jones... Travis Kelsey may have been trying to grease the wheels there. Because I'm guessing DirecTV went to him first, you know, on account of SNL hosts and all of that. Maybe Travis Kelsey said, hey, Chris, I got you a, I got you a, a link up here. Probably wouldn't get this gig if you were playing for Washington. Or Detroit or whoever. But I can get you, I can get you a national TV, DirecTV commercial. So on the other hand, for my hypothetical here, if the Chiefs give in, I understand you could say, oh, well, that's a bad precedent to set, but no other player is going to have the lever to pull that says, I'm Chris Jones. Like I said earlier, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, Chris Jones are in a class of their own in terms of, and there's tiers between them. But those three guys are completely alone in terms of how important they are to the Chiefs. Above Tyreek Hill, who is way above Tyron Matthew, who is above... Orlando Brown, those three guys are in a class of their own. But then what happens if the Chiefs don't pay Chris Jones? Do say, hey, you've got this one year left on your deal. We don't like where this ends up for us. So you just, you roll with it. We're going to, you you play this year out, go in another Super Bowl, and uh, we'll figure this thing out next year. We don't, we don't want to be doing this in week one. We're certainly not going to be doing negotiating during the regular season, you just you play it out, or don't show up and receive no money and 
lose a season or, or show up late in the year to get your accrued season and make sure that contract keeps tolling after you lose a million bucks a week. If the Chiefs go hard line, take it or leave it, it's going to be really hard for any defensive player to reasonably look at their future in Kansas City and think, yeah, I, I can play my way into a nice multi-year contract here. Yeah, I think I can. I, if I really show my value, I'm Legarius Sneed, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put everything on tape. I'm gonna be a Swiss Army knife that is just doing everything this team needs from me. I'm going to be a defensive weapon. You think Legarius Sneed looks around right now and realizes that like, oh man, I'm not. This might not be the place for me. I, I might I might follow the Charvarius Ward path and have to do with that second contract somewhere else. I I might. Look at Chris Jones as a guy who was third in defensive player of the year voting last year, the best defender in the AFC, arguably the best defender in the entire NFL. And the Chiefs decided, nah, we don't we don't like the long term view for this, so we're gonna go ahead and do something else here. And that's a little bit of a hard sell. Now now maybe Justin Reed saw the Tyron Matthew deal and he's already thinking, Yeah, this is I, I got one contract in Kansas City and then they're gonna do this all over again. And maybe they will. But I don't think that either side, and this is part of the reason that it's August 10th and we still don't know where the status of this of this contract is. Chris Jones and and the Chiefs, I, I don't think either side has an, an easy button they can push to say, all right, here's, here's our terms. Take it or leave it. Because I still think it benefits both sides way too much to get this deal done. But if the Chiefs are hung up on, we are not going to guarantee your, whatever, age 32 season, and Chris Jones' side is saying, well, I'm not signing a deal that doesn't doesn't guarantee me more money, because if I play this year out and I you trade me to somebody who wants to pay me next year, I'll get that money. Then you get stuck in that stalemate. I still think it's it not only unreasonable and, and unlikely i don't think impossible frankly because weirder weirder stuff has happened but it would be a horrible horrible end to this story for chris jones to get traded between the draft and the start of the regular season the the only window to do that was like they did with tyree kill moving him early enough that you get draft picks and salary cap flexibility that you can use to fill in the gaps that, that the guy you have just moved on from has left behind. With the, the Chiefs ultimately, and, and this didn't all happen uh, post-Hill, but when the Chiefs have MVS and Juju Smith-Schuster and extra picks that allows them some flexibility to plan for the future with Sky Moore, all of those pieces coming together, that's very different than executing your entire offseason plan for one thing and then trading one of your superstars for next year's draft capital on the eve of the regular season. I I just don't think that can be it for the Chiefs. I think there's an interesting next little pivot of what's the worst case scenario. If things go sour, what's the solution and where do we end up there? That's something that we might just have to talk about a little bit when we come back. I'm not predicting worst-case scenarios, but i got to be aware of them and got to look and see what, what the future may hold because I know the Chiefs and Chris Jones are both taking a look at that. We'll do the same when we come back next in the zone.
Who wants to talk worst case scenarios? You want to talk about worst case scenarios? Come on. We got a football game in just a few days. Let's talk about the things that keep us up at night. Like what happens if Chris Jones doesn't get a new contract for Thursday against the Lions? And what happens next? I'm Joshua Briscoe. It's The Zone here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jason Anderson will be back with us tomorrow. Drake on the other side of the glass. We'll talk to Kent Swanson about a lot of this stuff. Matt Verderam uh, at noon. Kent at 11. Todd Lebo at 1. Here's here's what I'm uh, circling now, and then I promise we'll talk about things other than Chris Jones's contracts. Again, I, I understand that, like... The contract discussions, the numbers of what about this? This one million more average annual value, five million more in a prorated signing bonus. It, it can all get lost in the weeds, and I, I still hope and still believe, with all of the authority you can hear in my voice right now, that we will eventually have a long-term Chris Jones deal to break down and talk about and look at, given to him by the Kansas City Chiefs that he signs. I believe in that. Still, for now, at the moment. But I was driving in here this morning, as one does, thinking about the worst case scenarios. Because this is what the Chiefs have to have a plan for. Not a plan A, but just a plan for. You you have to have options for anything you're uncertain about particularly after the draft goes by, particularly after the entire offseason of player movement of the draft and free agency and all that comes with it, once once you've lost that window, if you have a player who you think is in the, the very likely situation of holding out in in any way, shape, or form, you've got to have the break glass in case of holdout option. This is one place where I think the Chiefs still have a little more of the leverage. But I, I mean, I am lacking in confidence on so many parts of this that you may not be hearing in my voice that I felt a lot more confident about 30 days ago. But I think that the worst realistic case scenario for the Chiefs is that this this negotiation is over and the ball's back in Chris Jones's court but because he's under contract i think the chiefs end up having the leverage there if there is never another conversation between Brett Veach and Chris Jones's agents the chiefs can say we really thought we'd make this work really bummed it didn't you're paying 50 grand a day to not be here right now. And once the negotiations are over, like over, over, not just cooled down, hoping they'll heat up again. But once we have closed the books here, what's the point in you losing more money this season? My hope now is that at least both sides are, are still having these conversations because there is still hope of getting something done. But but once there's no more no more angst, no more leverage, no more no more jockeying for position, it just doesn't make sense for Chris Jones 
to take a year of football off, or the first, whatever it would be, eight games, 12 games, to make sure he gets the season to accrue, for him to sit out two-thirds of a season and to come back and to just be a, a malcontent working back up the speed to make sure he is able to hit free agency next offseason, or he could just sit out all year and say, hey, don't pay me, it's fine, you won't have to even franchise tag me next year, but just tr- just trade me. Just trade me next season. That that just seems so unreasonable to me that that is one click worse than the reasonable worst case scenario in my mind. Chris Jones is not going to help his future negotiating leverage by not playing football after the best year of his career. He needs to play this year, and he'll make almost $30 million if he does. He should get a long-term deal. Brett Veach has said he deserves this, this long-term deal. But at worst case, he, he, he's he got to play. It just doesn't make any sense not to. So then the Chiefs are in a position where they still get their superstar defensive tackle. Maybe frustrated, maybe disengaged, maybe... I mean, it, all reports are that he's been in working and, and is still in great shape. But maybe maybe he's not as plugged in as you want him to be. Maybe he's not the leader that he would have been, you know, knowing where his future was going to be as opposed to realizing that, that he essentially, you have a breakup and you have to live out the rest of the lease with that person. That I'm afraid that's what the vibe would be for Chris Jones in a lame duck year with the Chiefs after negotiations fell apart and, and he missed an entire training camp. But I think he'd play. I think the Chiefs would still get him. And now Chris Jones has the motivation of next year, I've got to get my money. And I've got to prove that I am not going anywhere this season. That's why I think the Chiefs still have the slight edge in the leverage conversation. Because they want him to play. He's got to. And they can essentially have him play again hoping to get one more peak year out of Chris Jones, and then next year, tag him and trade him before the draft. You, you won't have the leverage you would have this year, perhaps, and everyone knows that it's a move that's coming, but it's something you could do next year after getting another potentially in an expectedly elite year out of him this upcoming season. It's hard for me to imagine it getting worse than that for the Chiefs. For Chris Jones, that also might be the worst case scenario. Okay, great. I'm basically playing on the franchise tag this year. I'm going to get tagged for real next year, and then they're going to send me to a destination that I may or may not want to go to. Now, he'd have some leverage because you're going to get traded and immediately get the long-term extension like the Chiefs did when they went and got Frank Clark. Or or the Tyreek Hill wasn't um, tagged, but you know, trade him to Miami, and Miami's got a deal waiting for him when he gets there. I think that works out ultimately just fine for the Chiefs. It's still, to be clear, not what I'm rooting for. I don't think it's the best case scenario. I have my my concerns about just how that impacts the team this year. But I do ultimately think Chris Jones would show up and be a professional and would do everything he could to win another Super Bowl before he ends up somewhere else. The kind of wild thing, though, is that getting the elite players is really difficult, (laughs) which might be really obvious sounding. But having legitimately impact guys, and again, not to just keep digging on Tyron Matthews because it's a kind of a similar situation but a a different distinction. Tyron Matthews was a really important player 
and a Super Bowl champion and a, a vital part of that defense, but he wasn't Chris Jones. In, in terms of like, oh no, this is... And I don't know why a lot of Chiefs fans still don't have this appreciation. Chris Jones is a Bosa. He he is Aaron Donald right now. Last year, he was Aaron Donald. I would understand you say, hey, Aaron Donald's got like eight years of that production, and Chris Jones had one. But last year, he was the best interior defensive lineman in football, and he was neck and neck with Nick Bosa and Micah Parsons. And th- those are the two people he trailed in defensive player of the year voting. He's the exact type of guy you do give 28, 29, 30 million dollars a year to. And also, I don't think his drop off, he's not he's not a speed wide receiver like Tyreek Hill. Even when Chris Jones isn't performing at Aaron Donald levels, whatever year that kicks in, he's still going to be an excellent player. Which is another reason I think the Chiefs are willing to break some of their own rules to get this deal done. I just still thought it was going to be done by now. And here we are on August 10th. Here we are with this this lead from Nate and the Athletic of no one in the organization expects him to arrive here before the end of training camp. It's not a fun conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll look ahead to a preseason game and... Um, I'll be in this chair for the post game show after it, so we're gonna have plenty of time to dissect what we actually see there. It'll be a, it'll be a good time. But right now, I am back at this point of having at one point kind of circled today as a great time for that extension to get done. And now it sounds like a lot of that hope has left the building. It's an interesting spot for the team to be with uh, their second or third most important player. But the Chiefs haven't yet shown if they're willing to value three players at a time. It's interesting. We'll continue to talk about it some with Kent Swanson, Matt Verderam, Todd Lebo. That's the plan for 11 noon and 1 today. I'm Joshua Briscoe. More Zone next. It's the Zone here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Joshua Briscoe and the Drake are with you here. Jason will be back in tomorrow. Saw a story this morning unrelated to Chris Jones. And uh, it's about money, but a different type of it. Saw this uh, about... Phil Mickelson. There is uh, an upcoming book by renowned professional gambler Billy Walters, as he is described in this ESPN.com story I'm reading from now. And uh, we, you know, we've heard stories of Phil Mickelson being a pretty avid gambler, oftentimes to his detriment. Drake, as we work on our Drake and Josh reboot here. Drake, what's like a what would you consider to be a lot of money? Just kind of in the vague sense, what's a lot of money to you? Uh, you know, well, right now is you know payday's not till next week. Like a hundred bucks would be a pretty pretty good chunk. It's a pretty good chunk um, of money, you know. But, you know, I mean, this is nice round million dollars sounds like a lot of money. Million dollars, I would say, Drake. I would say that's a ton of money. It is. It I would is. say I'd say a hundred bucks is an amount of money that you like. You're like, oh man, I don't. Yeah, it's real money. I've never real money. Hundred bucks is real money. I've never spent a hundred dollars and been like, that's no big deal. Thousand bucks, I would say. That that's when we're like, oh, like if and especially if you are in wagering territory. If I'm sweating out, I've, I've never experienced this, so I don't even know what it would be like. I, I had a fifteen hundred dollar uh, pickup from the uh, from you know car maintenance yesterday, so that was oh. uh, that was that was painful. That's a that is a painful amount of money. going to read you the first uh, first full paragraph in the story from ESPN.com. 
Phil Mickelson bet more than $1 billion on football, basketball, and baseball over the past three decades, and even allegedly attempted to place a $400,000 wager on Team USA in the 2012 Ryder Cup in which he participated, according to an upcoming book by renowned professional gambler Billy Walters. You said with a B. $1 billion. Bravo. The uh, the actual losses that I'm gonna have to go find a different story that doesn't lead. There's different ways you can lead this story. I think getting one billion with the B in there is a heck of a way to do it. Um, the Golf Digest story here says Phil Mickelson's gambling losses losses totaled nearly one hundred million dollars. See, I'm I'm the guy that if I'm going to sit down and watch a game and think this will be more fun with a wager on it, I'll come up with a dollar parlay with uh-huh. like a three or four leg parlay for a dollar, and if I lose that dollar, I'm not very happy about it, but <laughs> it was kind of fun. It was you had a nice time. You went through had the fun of picking at the parlay. I, I got the two dollar Mega Millions ticket over the weekend to try to you know win that one and a half billion dollars, and I was very pleased when I got my two dollars back. Oh, that's huge! I was going to ask if you won, but you're here, so I did you didn't. I don't live in Florida. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, was, I thought you were saying you would already have bought a house in Florida. Like, that's no. pretty. I don't think you would have. But, yeah, okay, got it. It was in. The winning ticket was sold. winning ticket was sold in Florida. I don't know if it was sold to a Florida resident. I mean, maybe you bought a Mega Millions ticket in Florida and drove back again. I did not. Okay. This is just such an outrageous Everything about this is outrageous to me. It, it, it shouldn't... Maybe some of it shouldn't be that surprising because it is Phil Mickelson. This is sort of a part of his whole his whole deal. I don't think the 400 grand on a Ryder Cup he was playing in has necessarily gotten the, the weight of the story because the numbers are so big. Um, are we all cool with that? Can golfers bet on themselves? Does that... How, where, do we, where do we stand on that one from a purity of competition Cause, thing? Cause, cause you can... I, something tells me you can do that in England. Was it? Was it? It was. It England? was the Ryder Cup in 2012. I'll have to. So I know it's gambling rules are a little bit different in England, and maybe you can vote. You can. That one was in Illinois. Okay, well, and that's not part of the UK. <laughs> I don't. Not anymore. There was a big fight about that a couple hundred years ago, and change. And maybe maybe part of it to me is just how in, how interesting it is that we're we're having to learn how to compartmentalize all of these things differently, and it's just going to keep happening. I mean, it, it is all of the the sports betting is all obviously completely intertwined with all of sports media, and ESPN's taking another step in that direction. Oh man, they're showing Chris Jones on ESPN right now too. Which player not in camp is most concerning? I was going to not talk about Chris Jones here because making me too sad. So instead, I wanted to talk about Phil Mickelson losing a hundred million dollars reportedly. And betting a billion in total. But every NFL player that, you know, puts a nickel on a college team from the team facilities is like, you know, staunchly punished. And Phil Nichols says, oh, it's Phil, the lefty. Lefty put a billion on a, on a whole bunch of things over several years. Ah, this is Phil. We'll fill some time with Kent Swanson at KC Sports Network next. The Zone with Jason Anderson is presented by Guaranteed Foods.